We're glad that you are here, and it's so good to see a church that fellowships and that loves one another. Oh, what a blessing that is to me. My name is Mark Black, and I bring you greetings from Sharon Missionary Baptist Church. What an honor, what a thrill it is for me to be here, and a double blessing for me because I get to be here with my pastor, Brother Hamlin, and so... I pray that you will uh, continue to remember everyone that's going to be involved in all of the music this week, all of the preparation work that's already gone into things. Uh, please be in prayer for all of that. What a blessing it is in the Lord's church to have good music. Amen? So I do cover your prayers for that. Well, we're going to get started. Braden's going to come and sing at this time. So Braden Bell, you come and bring this message and song. Can do. I'm so glad that we have a God who 
does great and mighty things, moves the mountains. And you know, when our faith is tested sometimes, that's when we need to be as close as we possibly can to him. We should always strive to be close, but oh, when those times of trials come, we run to him, don't we? Oh, let's keep our faith strong in him. That's the message of this song. The choir is going to allow me the opportunity to sing with them. So uh, you listen with a prayerful heart as the choir and I sing, You Were There. the trials that I seem to face alone Wondering why God left me here to struggle on my own I thought of all the verses and the scriptures I had read How He promised to be with me How he never would forsake me So with all the faith within me I cried out to God and said You were there for Moses You were there for Joseph You were there for David When he didn't have a prayer So I believe in time I'll see That through it all You were there for me Oh, there'll be days of silent suffering When it seems that no one cares Years may come and go without an answer to my prayers. Oh, but may I never question your unfailing love for me. And like the saints who've gone before me, may my faith be one more story of a life that's lived for your glory. So that others will believe You were there for Moses You were there for Joseph You were there for David When he didn't have a prayer You were there for Stephen So I'll believe in time
That was the ultimate sign of him being there for me. It was my cross. It was my sin. It was my shame. And yet he bore it for me. And because of that, I can have a new life. And it's a rich and free life here. Just a foretaste of what's going to happen in heaven above. Oh, there's coming a day we're going to enjoy. And all the things that he has in store for us, we'll see. And most of all, we'll see him. Face to face. Let's sing about that heavenly home, shall we? Let me tell you just a little bit about how I like to do these hymns, okay? Now, you've got your hymnal, right? I want you to know that's optional, all right? You know why? Because you know these songs. You know these songs. Don't get into a big panic about trying to find the right number, okay? You know these songs. And besides that, some of these songs aren't in the book. So... We're just going to kind of wing it, all right? That's a Baptist term, wing it, all right? We're going to do that. We're going to sing, I'll Fly Away. Now, that's in the Heavenly Highway hymnal, and it's number 54, if you want to go ahead and find your place there. And then we're going to sing, I'm getting ready to leave this world. Do you all know that one? Good, because it's not in the book. (laughs) Then we're going to sing, I feel like traveling on, and it's number 59. So you can place your finger there if you'd like as well, okay? And then we're going to sing uh, the third verse of Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. All right? I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amen. Amen. Y'all know that one? Well, it's Heavenly Highway hymn number 203. And if you're turning there, you ought to be ashamed. <laughs> The last song is called Going Home. Long before Bill Gaither ever wrote The King is Coming, he wrote a song called Going Home. Going home, going home, there's nothing to hold me here. I've caught a glimpse of that heavenly land. Praise God, I'm going home. What a great little song that Bill Gaither wrote on that. So that one's not in any of the books either, okay? But if you miss a note or two, it's okay. If you miss a word or two, that's okay. If you miss the message of all of this, that's not okay. I want you to know there's a heavenly home. And we're going there one day, those of us who know Jesus as our Savior. So I just want you to wing it and flow along with me as we focus on our heavenly home through these songs. All right? Let's stand. Heavenly Highway hymn number 54, I'll fly away. sing the first verse, alright? Some glad morning when this life is over Oh, you do know this one. To a home on God's celestial shore Yeah. 
take me where? Jones is going to come at this time. What a tremendous help she's been with me in the past few weeks as we made preparations with our choir. So thank you so much. You listen now as she brings this message in song. Why should I feel why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my faithful friend is He. For His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear. And resting on His goodness, I lose my doubt. And my fear, I draw him closer to me. From care, he sets me free. 
his eye is all the spirit and I know he watches me his eye is on the I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches me. Yes, his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches even me. Brother Richard Hamlin, pastor at Sharon. I got a chance to um, preach at Sharon uh, this past May, I believe it was, in revival. And just all the dates and getting back, still time change, and trying to keep all that straight. But I was over there helping them in a meeting, and it went very well. It was on a Sunday through Wednesday, and enjoyed time getting to know them. Basically, a country church in town. To us, it'd be a city. And, uh, and so they're, they're just really great people. Just a, it's a good sized church there in Benton, Arkansas, where he's been since 2000, 2003. And, uh, he teaches homiletics at Cabby, where I also teach. And several of his students are here, so they'll be monitoring him this time and, uh, watching him, how he does things. And, and, uh, Brother Richard is just a country boy at heart. And uh, happens to pastor in town, and he loves to fish and has a great family. I'll let him fill you in on all the details. And he has, uh, I remember the first time I ever heard him preach, and it was in Minden, Louisiana. I believe he was preaching lecture week that week. And I think the date is 94 and 95. And when I was finishing up my bachelor degree, it took me 10 years to do that. When you get married and have to go to work and all those things, it finally comes to pass. But uh, I remember the very first, and excellent, I said, just he does an excellent job of describing God's Word and making it come to life. And so, Brother Richard, after this special, come bring us God's Word. Like that tie I was wearing earlier. If you did, it's laying right over there if you'd like to wear it. I pray that this will be a great week for you, but I pray that this week will do more than just stir your heart because Jesus didn't die on Calvary's cross for us just to be stirred, did he? Oh, uh, he, he wants us to be changed. Oh, uh, he deserves a fiery love because of the price that he paid for us. Your love endured the cross Despising all the shame That afternoon when midnight fell Your suffering cleared my name and that sin-swept hill became the open door 
to paradise because you paid so high a price. You paid much to high a price for me. Your tears, your blood, the pain To have my soul just stirred at times Yet never truly changed You deserve a fiery love That won't ignore your sacrifice because you paid much too high a price. Oh, but your grace, it inspires my heart. To rise above the sin And all the earthly vanities That seek to draw me in I want to tell this jaded world of love That truly saved my life, a love that so high you paid much to rise for me, your tears, your blood, the pain to have my soul just stirred at times yet never truly changed Lord you deserve a fiery love that won't ignore your sacrifice Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark, and uh, thank you, Promised Land, for giving us the opportunity of coming here and ministering together. Uh, you know, this is a first for me. I've uh, preached a lot of revival meetings, uh, preached them all over this uh, part of the state, as many other parts, 
and uh, even a lot of other states. But uh, it's the first time I've ever been able to go and actually have a meeting where Brother Mark was with me, where my own music uh, director was there. Kind of, kind of worried about it just a little bit, you know, because I feel kind of like the psalmist when he said in Psalm 139 to the Lord, "There's not a word in my tongue, but that Thou, O Lord, knowest it all together." You know, I mean, he's heard every sermon that I preached for nine years. <laughs> then I got to thinking, you know, I know all of his songs too, so <laughs> uh, we're kind of okay there, brother. Uh, but that's all right. Uh, it's always hard to know exactly where to start, and uh, I thought we'd start out tonight talking about the preeminence of Christ. So I'd invite you uh, to the book of Colossians tonight, the book of Colossians for our scripture reading. <clears throat> we'll be looking in Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> this is an incredible passage, and uh, I always approach it with a certain degree of trepidation, knowing that my frail humanity is not capable, really, of expressing the reality of the preeminence of Christ. And yet it is here for us and here for our consideration. It dominates our thinking as it dominates the pages of this great book, the preeminence of Christ. Colossians 1 and 16, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist, and He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. We pray then God's blessings on the reading of His Word tonight. Our purpose is easily expressed. We will consider and remind ourselves of the biblical and the personal significance of the preeminence of Jesus Christ as it is presented in this and a few other passages as we close out the message. We'll begin tonight by considering the biblical significance of this truth as it is presented to us in Colossians chapter 1. But the word preeminence itself is not hard for us to understand. It means to hold first place. To be first. Now in any area of human endeavor, when a person becomes number one, that is something to be considered. I have heard, I cannot verify, that the number one crappie fisherman in the state of Arkansas resides in Ashley County. <clears throat> I've heard that. I heard something today about somebody winning first place in a bow shooting competition. First place. That is a marvelous achievement. When a person becomes the number one athlete in any particular sport, no matter what it is, that is certainly something. When a person rises to the pinnacle of political success, to where they can say that they occupy the top office in any county, any municipality, any state, any region, and especially in a country like this great nation of ours, that is certainly something incredible. But when it comes to the one who is sitting on the throne of the universe, there is room for only one, and His name is Jesus Christ. In all things, not in some, not in a few, but in all things, he might come to have the preeminence. This is a sweeping declaration, but it is an explanatory statement. In order that, in order that, in all things, he might have the preeminence or come to have first place. You see, this is declaring for us that God had a purpose. He had a purpose in mind in creation. He had a purpose in mind in all of His great works that in all things Christ might come to have the preeminence. God is not operating, you see, in accordance with plan B. This is plan A. And that plan is that in all things Jesus Christ might come to have the preeminence. It is impossible to understand the message of the Scripture unless you understand that it is the message of the preeminence of Christ. But not only is it impossible to understand the Bible, but it is impossible to understand the God of the Bible 
Unless you understand that this is his purpose, this is his object, this is what God is doing, this is where his focus is now, where it has always been. That in all things, he, that is Christ, might come to have the preeminence. We talk about inviting Christ to come into our life. And that is not a bad thing for us to say. It is a good thing because it's one of the ways, one of the many ways that we describe what happens when a person is saved, when they're born again. But if we're not very, very careful, I'm afraid that sometimes when we say that, we might give somebody the wrong impression. I've invited Christ to come into my life as if somehow he might come and join me. But we're missing the point. Because, you see, God is working so that in all things, He, that is Christ, might come to have the preeminence. And if I'm going to experience the fullness of what God wants me to experience, if I'm going to be what God wants me to be, if I'm going to be able to do what it is that God wants me to do, then I believe that my purpose must be His purpose, that in all things, Christ might come to have the preeminence, might be preeminence, might come to have first place. You see, one preacher, I think, summed it up very well when he said that in every heart there is a throne and there is a cross. If self is on the throne, then Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the throne, then self must be on the cross. That's a good way of describing how that God's purpose operates in your life and mine in the preeminence of Christ. Now, this is revealed to us in three ways in our text. Paul begins by talking about how Christ is preeminent in salvation. Look in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, growing up in the 1970s like I did, I tell you, I have to admit that there's a little bit of Trekkie still in me, and every time I read that passage, I think, beam me up, Scotty. (laughs) Beep, beep. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I made a Star Trek reference to one of our church members the other day, and he said, well, you know, I just played out in the yard a lot. We didn't watch a lot of TV. (laughs) Okay, I understand. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transported us, translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Notice, in whom? That's in Christ. We have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. There is no way for me to say this tonight except just to say it. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ. None. I want you to pause and consider for a moment the magnitude of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16. Because there he said, if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Now, this is a part of Paul's famous defense of the doctrine of the resurrection. We understand that. Still, it is worthy for us to note that Paul very clearly says that there is no other possibility that can even be considered for the forgiveness of sins. If the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient to save you or save me, folk, there is no salvation available. That's what he said. If Christ is not risen, your faith is vain, you are still in your sins. There's no other option, no other plan, no other possibility exists. As we grow closer and closer to the return of Christ tonight, you and I realize something, and that is that the message that I just preached to you is growing increasingly unpopular. 
In fact, it is facing outright hostility in the world in which we live. How dare you people would respond to say that there is no other way for people to go to heaven except through the name of Jesus. I'll go further than that. If someone ever tells you that there is another way to be saved except through the blood of Jesus Christ, that person is a heretic. Period. And if that falls on you, we can make it a little more personal. You are a heretic. There is no other way for the forgiveness of sin except through the blood of Jesus Christ. He'll go on in Colossians 1 and 20 and say that He has made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say whether they be things in heaven or on earth or things in heaven. Christ is preeminent. How does that show itself biblically? Well, first it shows itself biblically in the truth of salvation. Christ is preeminent in salvation. Apart from Him, no salvation is available. Second, He is preeminent in Revelation. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, the word image in this passage is the word from which our word icon is derived. It refers to an image or a likeness, an exact representation. This tells us, first of all, that if Jesus Christ is our icon, and He is if we have trusted in Him, because He is the exact image of the invisible God. I always love what Tony Evans said. He said, Jesus Christ came to put God on a shelf that we could reach. We could not see God. We could not know God. We could have no relationship with God. Have no knowledge of God. There was no way for us to understand God. And yet Jesus Christ came and put God on a shelf that humanity could reach. He is the image, the icon of the invisible God. I'll go on to say tonight that if Jesus Christ is your icon, you have no need of any other. We don't need anything to carry around on our neck or put on the dashboard of our card. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the very image of God and He, I'll go a step further, He lives in you if you're saved. He lives in me because I am saved. So Jesus Christ, the visible person, is the exact representation of the invisible God. That also tells us that the only God that we can see is Jesus Christ. The only one we'll ever see is God. And that God the Son. Because He is the image of the visible or invisible God. Now, this is a partial explanation, the truth of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Paul would go on and say that in Him, that's in Christ, dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You say, I don't understand that. Good. Good. <laughs> Good. If you ever think that you understand it, you're getting too big for your britches. You don't understand that. Of course you don't. But I do know this. Jesus Christ is the image, the icon of God. He is preeminent in Revelation. So that when we see Jesus, we are seeing God. When we see Jesus, we talk about, well, I'll see Him face to face. And that, yeah, that's Him. That's what we're seeing. Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You cannot know God through reason, though many try. You can't know God through religion. religion many try. You cannot know God through ritual. Many try. You only know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Christ is preeminent in salvation. Christ is preeminent in revelation. Then thirdly, we'll see that Christ is preeminent in creation. You see that in verse 16. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things And by Him all things consist. You know, the doctrine of divine creation has been under attack for so long that it's almost old news to us. 
But we perhaps never realize that when they attack the doctrine of creation, they are making a full frontal attack on the doctrine of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. If we cannot trust what the Bible says to us about Genesis chapter 3, then what the Bible says in John chapter 3 makes no difference. To put it another way, if we cannot trust God about the origin of the universe, then how in the world do we think we can trust Him about the destiny of the universe? And if what this book says about how things all began does not matter, is not accurate, cannot be trusted, then it cannot be trusted about what it tells us about how it is all going to end. And it then is calling on us to basically throw out this entire doctrine that we have already declared to be the central truth of God's Word. You can't understand the Bible without understanding the preeminence of Christ. You don't understand the biblical message unless you understand that it's all about the preeminence of Christ. You're not going to understand the God of the Bible unless you understand it's all about the preeminence of Christ. And here we are then with this message of creation so firmly implanted in this whole doctrine, yet so deeply under attack today. I want to remind you very quickly of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. Where what the Bible says about what happened in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3, all tied in. With what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, it says it this way. Very simple passage. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Isn't that simple? Well, do you mean, brother, you really believe that story about Adam and Eve in the garden? Yes. Somebody said, well, you know, I, I, don't, I believe in Jesus, I, I, but I don't believe all that stuff. The Bible does not give you that option. And let's be careful in this ever-changing world that we find ourselves living in. Let's be careful when we see so many of the truths of Scripture coming under so much attack. Let's be careful to always put before ourselves, put before every generation that comes along, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that all things were made by Jesus Christ, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and that you cannot pick and choose what about this message you want to believe and not believe. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And you don't get around to that message of salvation until first. You understand what got us in this mess to begin with. Whereas in Adam, all die. So the biblical significance of the preeminence of Christ is very clearly revealed in this passage. And he is preeminent in salvation, preeminent in revelation, preeminent in creation. What is the personal significance of this? What does this doctrine mean to you and I personally? Well, look down in verse 22, Colossians chapter 1. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Verse 28, whom, that's Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You'll not find anywhere in the Word of God a more condensed definition of a pastor's ministry than you will find here in Colossians chapter 1. Because Paul looked beyond the daily grind. Paul looked beyond the daily disappointments. Paul looked beyond all of the activities, all of the routine that so dominated these people's lives. And he talked about how he was laboring in them. How that he was working in them and striving in them. In fact, he bankrupted the language, used every word that was available to him to describe the kind of work that he was doing. And what was it that he was pouring his heart and soul into? What was it that dominated his life? What was it that he wanted more and more for these people? He said, I'm looking ahead to the time when I'm going to present you to Christ. And I want you to be mature. I want you to be strong. 
I want you to be good, godly people. I want you to be there unblameable and holy and unreprovable in His sight. This is what I'm working for. This is what I'm longing for. Because there's more to your life than just what plays out in front of your eyes. There's a heaven to come. An eternity with God. And I'm striving in you that you'd be ready for that time. And that you'd stand there in the favor of God, presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. This is what we're working for. It's what Paul was working for. So, we could summarize all of that really with one expression. Christ is preeminent, and we see that presented biblically. But also, he said, I want the preeminence of Christ to be in your life personally. Where Christ is preeminent in you, in your life, in your living, when you're on the job, Christ is preeminent. When you're not, Christ is preeminent. It leaves us then with a simple question. If Christ has first place in the universe, and if He has first place in my life, then how does that play out? What does it look like? The great hymn writer Isaac Watts considered this. And he came away after surveying the wondrous cross, saying, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. With all due respect to Isaac Watts, just exactly what does that look like? Some people might get the image, well, if my life is fully and completely and totally dedicated to Jesus Christ, I must be living in a cave on the side of a mountain somewhere. I mean, that monastic view of life is grounded deeply into our hearts. I never will forget when I was living in Branson, the first time that my oldest daughter brought one of her friends home from school. And I saw her, she came to our house. I saw her kind of walking through our house, looking around a little bit. And this is what she said. I promise you, she said this. I was expecting candles. (laughs) I promise you. Now, I'm not saying to you that we don't occasionally burn candles. But I mean, she had in her mind that our house was going to look like the church that she went to a lot. And I'm sure by now you've probably figured out probably what kind of church she went to. She was amazed that our house looked kind of like theirs, that, you know, we had the little rascals on TV or something. I don't know, probably wasn't them. (laughs) What does it look like in a life in which Christ is preeminent? I want to suggest some things. If Christ is in first place, In the universe, and He is. And if He is in first place in my life, and we certainly want that to be, I want to suggest to you four areas that we can easily demonstrate the preeminence of Christ. Four areas in all of our lives that the preeminence of Christ should be showing up. Number one, these are simple things. They're not in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to scatter around the Bible, but I think you'll understand that these are all areas in your life where Christ will be first. Number one. Number one. Jesus Christ should be getting the first minutes of every day. Number one. If Christ is in first place, this is the goal of God. This is the purpose. I want to be in first place. How is that going to look in my life? Number one, give him the first minutes of every day. Now, I realize that not everybody is like me. Not everybody is a morning person. I am one. I have been a morning person most of my life. Uh, you say, were you that way when you were a teenager? You kids are going to say, thank God. No. No, I was not that way when I was a teenager. I was not. I became a morning person when my first child was born. That did it. I've never got over it. Never have. I was not one of those kinds of husbands that could say, Honey, go feed that baby. 
I couldn't do it. When those little kids started crying, I was up with them. And it's been that way ever since. I still wake up at 4 o'clock, and I still get up every night for my midnight feeding. I'm I'm right there, only it's me I'm feeding now. Hadn't always been a morning person, I understand that. But it doesn't matter, you know, whether you get up at daylight or whether you get up at the crack of noon. You know, it doesn't really matter. I would tell you if I had time to preach another sermon, I would tell you all the things the Bible says about getting up early and how it warns us against sleeping too late. I could do that, but we won't go there today. Give Christ the first minutes of your day. You want a scripture on that? Psalm 5 and 3 will be sufficient. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. If Jesus Christ is first in the universe and first in your life, then give him the first minutes of your day. Number two, if Jesus Christ is first in the universe and first in your life, give him the first day of every week. The first minutes of every day, the first day of every week. Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Folk, I never thought that I would live to see the day when schools would plan sporting events on Sunday. But we live in that day. I never thought that there would be community-sanctioned events that would go on during church time, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Never thought I'd see it happening on Wednesday night. But it is happening. It is happening. And I realize what I'm calling you to when I say give the Lord the first day of the week. But it is important now as it has always been. If Christ is in first place in the universe and he's in first place in my life, then give him the first day of the week. Dedicate that day to the service of God. Let nothing come that is going to hinder you in your service of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your church has Sunday morning and Sunday night service, and I'm pretty sure it probably does, make both of them. Make both of them. If they've got Sunday school and Sunday morning worship, and I'm pretty sure it does, be there for both. Come a little bit early. Won't hurt you none. Stay a little late. You might be surprised what you'll find out. I mean... Hang around. Enjoy it. I tell you what. Sometimes I feel like the alarm has went off when we say amen at the end of the service. And there's a lot of people that don't even wait for the last amen. I mean, when I start the invitation, I'll see people get up and start walking. I think they're going to come to the altar. (laughs) But they turn and go the wrong way. Where do you have to be that is so important? You know, I don't know. know. Give God, give the Lord first minutes of your day. Give Him the first day of every week. Number three, give Him the first fruits of your income. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, And upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Giving the first fruits of your income. And lastly, give him the first consideration in all decisions. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. And this they did not as we hoped, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord. And then unto us by the will of God. So that they gave themselves unto the Lord. And in the decisions that they had to make in life then, they made those decisions as they sought the will of God. If Christ is preeminent in salvation, if He is indeed preeminent in revelation, if He is indeed preeminent in creation, and He is, and that is the biblical way that His preeminence is revealed, 
then it applies to us personally. He is preeminent in my life. And these four areas that I've called you to give to Him first place would be a good way for us. There might be other ways, but a good place to start. I promise you, if every one of God's blood-bought children would live by those four principles, we'd see a difference in our church. We'd see revival break out in this community and in this town. If we could just do those four simple things. It's not rocket science, folks. God didn't ask us to swim the deepest sea or climb the greatest mountain. I'm just talking about four simple things that we can do in our life to show that Jesus Christ is in first place. The legendary Greek orator, Demosthenes, was the one who supposedly taught himself how to be an orator by learning to speak with pebbles in his mouth. You remember that legend? It was said that after he became a great orator, he was asked to speak to address a mighty throng of people. And as he began to speak, you know, usually every crowd that he spoke to was just held spellbound by his oratory. But on this day, nobody seemed to be listening. He quickly grew frustrated. So he began to tell them the story of a man who went to buy some wood and he found some. He was carrying it back home, but he had to go further than he had expected in order to get it. And he was carrying that load. He came up on the mountain that he had to travel over in order to get to his home. And he was thinking about how difficult it was going to be to carry that burden of sticks of wood over that mountain. He spied a man standing by a donkey and he asked him, he inquired as to whether he might be able to rent that donkey to carry the burden with him. And if the man would go with him then so he could bring the donkey home and save him a trip. Well, they haggled a bit, he said, over the price. But soon enough, the decision was made and agreement was reached. And this man then rented this other man's donkey, put the burden of sticks upon him. And sure enough, they went up to climb the mountain. As they climbed, the sun grew higher and hotter. Until finally they found themselves near the top of the mountain in a very barren place. And they decided it was time for a rest. The only shade around was the shade of the donkey. And so the man who had rented the donkey went over and sat down in the shade. There was only room for one. Well, the man who owned the donkey saw that and he said, now, wait a minute. This is my donkey. I own it. And that shade also belongs to me. There's not room for both of us there. You're going to have to move. That is my donkey, my shade. No, no, the man said. I rented this donkey for a fair price. And when I rented the donkey, I rented his shade as well. The shade belongs to me. You're going to have to find someone else. Well, they began to argue and argue, and the argument grew fiercer and fiercer as each one demanded that they have their place in the shade. And at that point, Demosthenes shut up. And walked off the stage. In just a moment, the crowd began to shout, Come back! Come back! Come! Tell us what happened! Who got the shade? Who won the argument? Who got the... Well, he let them cry for a while. He walked back up on the stage and he said this, I have reasoned with you the great principles of life and living, and you paid me no heed. Now, now you all are interested in what happened to a donkey's shade. That is human nature, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm afraid from time to time, you and I need to just soak in the light of the revelation of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, knowing that all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is the head of all things. and He is before all things. That in all things, He might come to have the preeminence. If we lose sight of that, we're going to stand before the Lord one day and found out we spent our life fighting over donkey shade. And we missed what really mattered. Let's stand together, please. Father God, we thank you for the privilege we have of considering the incredible truth, the preeminence of Christ. Lord, we know, we know that our feeble efforts tonight 
fall so far short in explaining and extolling the realities of this truth. But Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd take it in the way that only you can. Drive it deeply into the soil of our hearts so that we might respond to the truth in a way that would be acceptable. Lord, if we've allowed our life to drift in any way from the truth of your preeminence, call us back. If in these simple areas that you've outlined for us in your word, where we can show the preeminence of Christ in our life, Lord, if we're failing in those areas, help us to get back on track. So that not only you and I, so that not only we can see, but the world around us, God can see that Christ is preeminent in all things. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd bless this truth now. Convict in your people the response you'd have to make. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As your pastor stands here before you tonight, I'm going to plead with you before Mark begins to sing. You respond in whatever that means. If that means tonight, that you can look in these four simple things that God's highlighted for us and say, you know, I've been missing out. And tonight I want to make that commitment. And you do that. If you need to do that in your heart, you do it. If you need to come to this altar and do it, you do it. You know God knows what kind of response you need to make. And I pray that you will. Brother Mark, you lead us in time of invitation.